and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me today is the ever-present podcaster that is Gaby Mackay. Hello Gaby. Hello Johnny, it's all about consistency at this level. It is indeed and uh, we are entirely consistent in being inconsistent. So, what are we talking about today? Well, the Europa League draws. There are a number of mouth-watering ties that have come out of the action from Neon today, and we're going to go into some detail about those. We're going to look at the idea of Celtic getting a director of football and why we think they should have one. Well, certainly why I think we should have one. Gaby may take the opposite position. And finally, Mark Warburton says 55 is on we analyse whether or not the QPR boss is right. So, Gaby, let's go through the teams tie-by-tie. We're going to start off with Celtic because they're in the Champions League. They're the big boys in the big boys' playground. So, first round, um, Champions League qualifier against Sarajevo. Now, that strikes me as a pretty difficult opener and harder in many ways than their second round tie. What do you make of it? You've been digging in for a piece in Football Scotland today. Yeah, well, I think any trip to to Bosnia or anywhere in the former Yugoslavia is one of those one that goes down as tough place to go. You you know you kind of you expect a very hostile reception with the the flares and the fans and uh, the war. Well, don't don't mention the war, Johnny. <laughs> Basil Faulty. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's a thirty-five thousand seat stadium they've got over there. You'd imagine that would be pretty full for a game against Celtic. It will be quite an intimidating atmosphere. They've got a couple of couple of good players they've got uh whose names i can't remember off my head because i've written them in the article but i don't have any notes with me uh they've got the macedonian captain who i think got about 15 goals last season and they've got a bosnian international striker as well they scored a lot of goals last season i think they got the team got 114 goals in 36 games this is all very worrying if you're a celtic fan right now yeah well i'll get to the the rest of it but yeah so from what i've seen they, they scored a lot of goals they're quite good going forward it seems like a tough place to go. You would think that Celtic might should have enough to beat them over two legs. You know, the Bosnian league certainly probably isn't the standard of the Serbian league or the Croatian league if we're talking about that part of the world. You'd think they might have should have enough to beat them over two legs, but certainly a trip to Bosnia is going to be a difficult one. A note to the fans that are going on that trip, don't do what I did earlier on, which was to get Bosnia and Serbia mixed up, which I believe could get you into some trouble over there. Yes, I think they're, shall we say, a little bit touchy about that whole thing. (laughs) Uh, So the second round, um, Celtic, and I'm going to use my uh, best pronunciation here for comedy effect. Um, Kalju of Estonia or uh, Sekundia of Macedonia. Can you do better than that? No, I have no idea how to speak whatever language they speak in Macedonia or or Estonian. Sekundia. Anyway, Macedonia or Estonia, you'd have to fancy both those leagues slightly slightly weaker than what you would expect from the Bosnian league. So if Celtic get through that first tie, which you know you would hope that they would, um, second leg looks something of a more, uh, certainly a more straightforward one, you would think. Yeah, although the Estonian team, whose name I won't even try to pronounce, they did... Kalju. Kalju, yeah. I'm sure... It, I mean, if there are any Estonians listening, which I can't imagine there are, please write in and correct because I'm sure we're butchering that. But Kalju, they won their league unbeaten last season, which, okay, maybe it's not the highest standard of league, but 
I think one something that's always has to be taken into consideration in these early qualifiers is they have summer football, so they're in the middle of their season. Yep. And that's something I think you always need to pay attention to in these kind of qualifiers because Celtic will be coming back into it and maybe not quite up to speed yet. They're in the middle of their season. They'll be bang at it. And the Macedonian League is a summer league. And I don't really know anything about Macedonian football, I must say. It's a glaring gap in my knowledge. What about history? Alexander the Great, a strong point of yours? Uh, no, was he from Macedonia? You seen the film with Colin Farrell? No, nope. no. Nope. Best to avoid that one, to be honest. Right. Okay. Um, one of the things that I think we can sometimes get caught up in as sports journalists here in Scotland, and I know I have in the past with a tie that I'll we'll get to later on, uh, is you just look at these teams and where they're from, and you just assume based on where they're from how good they're going to be or not. But we know from the past that that's not the case. I remember the press reports in the uh, early 90s when Rangers were facing Red Star Belgrade in the first round of the European Cup. And people said, yeah, you know, Red Star Belgrade, a decent team, but Rangers should get through. Now, that was the side of Panchev and Prozaneki and many, many, many stars. And believe me, that side could have taken about 10 off Rangers in the first game in, uh, in Belgrade. It was something to behold and then again Rangers against Progress Niederkorn again that's a that's a game we'll talk about in a bit more detail you just assumed that that would be an easy one so until we actually know a little bit more about these teams until we've got a little bit more time to actually investigate and, and study what they're capable of it's you're basing it on your prejudices and that's often not the best way to assess whether or not a tie is going to be an easy one or not yeah, no, that's definitely the case. I think uh, I'm just going on what I've read, which, as I said, is Estonia summer football and they won the league unbeaten. So I imagine they're no mugs and they'll probably be quite sharp. But yeah, I don't know much about Estonian or Macedonian football, I must say. I'll have to be cracking the books before the games happen. OK, well, we'll move on to Rangers now. They play against uh, Pristina or St. Joseph's in the first round. That's uh, a Kosovan team or a Gibraltar team. Um, and you've got to imagine that that would be uh, either side will be reasonably straightforward again. Um, neither big European leagues, although we saw um, the difficulties that uh, that, that uh, the Lincoln Red Imps gave uh, Celtic uh, previously. So again, not to suggest that these games are going to be straightforward. Well, St. Joseph's, St. Joseph's, it will be straightforward. They're the third best team in Gibraltar. Yeah, every we- every team in Gibraltar plays on the same pitch. That's how tin pot it is. Yeah. Well, as I say, remember when Celtic were beaten by a Gibraltar side. Yeah, so but you, then, you just never know. And that was them, under Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, they beat them 6-0 or something in the second leg, though, didn't yeah, they? 3-4-0, or four, no, I think it was. Well, whatever it was. It, uh, tin pot. Tin pot, right. Okay, I'm with you on that, right? So then we go into the potential second round game and it starts to get a wee bit tasty for Rangers because they can play against Cork City... Cardiff Metropolitan University, which you'd have to imagine would be a big game for the students, or Progress Niederkorn, the aforementioned Progress Niederkorn of Pedro Cascina angrily remonstrating with fans in a bush. This would be a tie and a half, wouldn't it? I know it's, it's, hard, it's hard to believe that we'd get excited about a tie against a team from Luxembourg, but just the weight of history that goes with that tie, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think if we can exclude Cardiff Metropolitan University, if we assume that they won't qualify, I think then you're left with a tie that, you know, it's, it's one one tie, one potential tie is going to be sort of weighed down by history and a sort of history of like animosity between the teams and the historical differences. And the other one would be Cox City. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think... Uh, it would be for Rangers perhaps the chance to exercise some demons playing Progress Niederkorn for 
uh, others uh, the chance to maybe bring up uh, the the hedge incident, which I think uh, was uh, quite quite the meme at the time. Yeah, the thing about progress was that based on last year's performance in Europe, I think they got from the first qualifying round to the fourth and only very narrowly uh, didn't make it into the Europa group stages. So clearly they were a bit better. They were one of these sides that perhaps we didn't properly assess um, because they were clearly a bit better based on the results than, than many people thought they were. And yeah, although they did say in their programme for the Rangers game that they thought they had no chance of getting through. <laughs> so maybe they overestimated Rangers, yeah. perhaps. But well, yeah. yeah. I mean, Rangers, there's no doubt, have come on a little bit since those oh, days. Oh, yeah, no question. Since the days of relying on Josh Windass uh, to, to miss a... <laughs> to a, swaz it, top stanch. Yeah, uh, absolutely. To miss a chance uh, in the last minute of the game that would have uh, taken Rangers through when he was about three yards out. Which kind of summed up his Rangers career. Um, but yeah, going to be a very tasty tie if that happens. It'll be very, very interesting to see how uh, Rangers have developed and uh, be a great acid test for that. Now, Kelly. You always like to talk about Kelly. And the first game in the first round is against Connor Key Nomads. Connor's Key? Connor's Key Nomads. Connor's yeah. Key Nomads, right, yeah. And Good now, name, isn't it? It's interesting. They've played Celtic, am I right, in the past? Uh, possibly they were in the Challenge Cup last year yes uh, that's, they got that's, to the that's, final. What, that's yeah. what I know them from uh, they weren't particularly popular with a lot of lower league sides apparently they play some quite uh, industrial football and the managers had a few comments to make uh, interesting Wikipedia page yeah um, if you look up the Wikipedia page of the Connors Key Nomads manager he 100% wrote it himself it has it features in his achievements um, that he beat Kenny Dalglish in a golf tournament and also that he was convicted for something, but it's because he's not very good at money and he's learned from it and he blames no one but himself. It actually says that on his Wikipedia page, which I'm convinced he wrote himself. I think the issue with that game is that they wanted to move it to Wrexham, but they couldn't because the pitch is getting relayed. So as things stand, I think it's the stadium's only got 1,700 seats and for the UEFA games, you can't have standing unless they're a rail so I think they're going to be a lot of Kilmarnock fans who are probably going to miss out on tickets because there'll be a big crowd going down so it could could be a bit awkward that one you have to imagine Kilmarnock against the Welsh side they'll take care of that no problem but the next round is something entirely different isn't it Partizan Belgrade that's the one side that you probably wouldn't have wanted at this time was it a 35,000 capacity stadium the atmosphere's crazy you know, history of good European performances throughout the the last thirty or forty years. Although I know they're not quite the the, the power that they once were, they're still a side that that maybe Kilmarnock would have rather avoided at this stage. Yeah, I think Kilmarnock were always going to get a difficult tie because they weren't seeded unlike Rangers and Aberdeen. But certainly, a trip to Belgrade, as as we were saying earlier about Bosnia, that it's uh, the definition of a sort of difficult place to go. You wouldn't imagine there's much chance of getting through that tie. I think it's just mainly you want to avoid a, a horrendous slaughter in Serbia, as we always like to avoid a horrendous slaughter in Serbia, if possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it should be a good atmosphere, though, when the home game, the famous uh, Partizan Ultras taking over the Chadwick stand at Rugby Park. <laughs> so, are you going to give them the two stands, or are you going to just... No, we, we, we don't need the... Serbian pound. Will it be bye bye partisan Belgrade? Yes, uh-huh. or ciao ciao partisan Belgrade, as uh, Angelo will say. So, in terms of that, uh, that away trip, um, is that something that you're going to think about? 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll have to get on Skyscanner. I'm not sure because I think it's about 250 quid for a direct flight. So yeah. uh, I'll, I'll be on Skyscanner and I'll be uh, I'll be informing you. I'll be putting some holidays in or something, perhaps. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be quite. Um, you have to keep it quite uh, low key. I would imagine you don't want to be going around Partizan Belgrade Stadium, uh, giving it. No, I think that'll be the travel <laughs> advice for anyone who is traveling. Come on, fans. So, yeah, don't be. Uh, yeah, don't, don't be trying go on to. A- 12 pint rampage yes don't be trying to intimidate them with a chorus of paper roses um aberdeen they've got a first round tie against rop oh well r-o-p-s i'm not even going to try and rops pronounce it. to rops, the friends rops yeah the, the the full version of the name is impronounceable even to a, a language expert like myself um they are obviously from finland uh, a nation which is going through something of a renaissance in terms of its footballers at the moment, uh, the national team doing very, very well in their group uh, after a number of victories uh, recently. Of course, we've got uh, a very talented Finnish player at Rangers and uh, Glenn Kamara. And uh, Timo Pukki, formerly of Celtic, is doing terrifically well down at Norwich. Now, Aberdeen, you think they can get through that tie? They've got a history of tripping over themselves in these type of rounds. You don't have to go very far to find uh, slightly embarrassing performances and results in terms of their history. Do you think they'll be able to get through this one? Well, again, it's summer football, so ROPs, as we're going to call them, should be up to speed. Um, they are 10th in the Finnish league at the moment, though. They haven't had a very good start to the season. Now, I haven't seen too much of the Finnish league, just uh, brief clips of Eremenko playing there after he left Kelly. So I can't tell you too much about the quality of the Finnish league. They finished second last season, but 16 points behind HJK Helsinki. It, it seems to me like it could be a difficult one, yeah. but you'd have to hope Aberdeen would have enough to get through. But as you say, they have a history of uh, occasionally at least coming close to messing things up or actually doing it. Yeah, the odd brain fart pataudry in Europe is not uncommon. Um, I suppose if Alfredo Morelos is a testament to what that league can produce, there's going to be a few talented players there. But if Aberdeen do go through, as we would expect them probably to, despite the fact it's a difficult tie, uh, and it's to be fair to Derek McInnes, he hasn't had that many uh, that many blunders in his time um, as an Aberdeen boss. Uh, certainly most of the time they've gone out when, when you would have expected them to go out. Um, the second round, um, they would go up against Fola Esch of Luxembourg or Chikura Shakiri. From from Georgia, Shakira Shakiri, is that about right? Um, I have no idea. I thought you were talking about Shakira for a minute there. Um, well, it sounds like a footballer, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, like Jordan's brother. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they nearly got knocked out by Fola Esh three years ago, didn't yeah. they? They, I think they won three one at Pataudry. They were one 0 down in Luxembourg, and then uh, Fola Esh hit the post. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the Georgia name. You've at least got it written down in front of you. I don't, so I still I'm, can't see it. Yeah. yeah um, again, Georgia. It's a long, long away trip. So, you know, that, that's that, the that night. Can, that's the nightmare. Yeah, trip, that, can, that can five hours plus in, in a flight. Yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult one for fans. It's probably even a difficult one for the players because although they'll be flying in more comfort, it's not going to be like you know your Man Cities and your Real Madrids where they'll have their own private plane and all this kind of stuff. So easy jet, uh, easy jet to yeah, easy jet to to Blissey. Uh, yeah. Again, it's difficult because I, you know, we don't really know much about Georgian football and haven't had time after the draw what half an hour ago to really uh, do a deep dive into it and try and learn. So yeah, I, I wouldn't like to try and predict that one. Uh, they did get past Folaesh last time, albeit 
narrowly, so you th- maybe that could be a bit of precedent, but I have no idea about whatever the Georgian team are called. I think overall, Gaby, if Scottish football has all four uh, participants still in the respective competitions after these ties, you'd have to say it would be doing very well. Yeah, it would be doing very well, particularly because Kilmarnock won't be seeded and have a very difficult tie. you probably expect them to go out in the second round. You'd think Rangers and Celtic should certainly get through the two rounds, and Aberdeen probably should, although I think they're, I think the Finland trip and if it's Georgia look difficult, but you'd like to think they get through. But yeah, four get through, certainly. If Kilmarnock could go through as well, that would be absolutely incredible, I think. Okay, well, we're going to move on now to whether or not Celtic should have a director of football. Um, there's been some chat that um, a new director of football has been sourced to potentially replace um, Lee Congerton, who was the head of recruitment. Um, obviously, nothing firm at the moment about whether or not that's the route Celtic could go down, but certainly there's some speculation. Do you think a big clubs like Celtic should have a football or a sporting director now, Gaby? Is this the way that football is going and, and big clubs in Scotland need to get on board? Yeah, I think so. I think that's how it's worked on in continental Europe for most of history. Obviously, I think as people know, I used to cover Italian football. Every Italian club has a sporting director. They deal with you know the transfers, the contract negotiations. And the idea is that while the managers might come and go, and obviously the sporting directors do come and go eventually, but you have someone in place who puts in place a kind of club philosophy, who moves things where they want it to go, where the board wants it to go, rather than having to rip things up and start again every couple of months you look at teams like Dundee and Falkirk who are appointing managers and then getting a whole new squad basically every six months it's not really a sort of stable or sustainable way to run things I think Celtic fans might be a little bit skeptical because I don't think Congerton was particularly well liked or well received for his uh, transfer dealings but then as we understand this guy's going to be director of football rather than head of recruitment now we don't really know exactly what the difference entails I'd imagine that a director of football would mean he'd be responsible for the entire sort of football side of things rather than just bringing in players but yeah I think I think most clubs and even in England you look at uh, Arsenal certainly Chelsea uh, Manchester United have kind of tried to do it but not very well uh, Manchester City have got the Bagheera stain don't they so in England even clubs are going that way it's the sort of era of the the manager being in control of everything of signing all the players I think is kind of over and for a big club like Celtic with a big turnover with European ambitions I think it makes sense that they'd want to move toward that kind of model Yeah the idea that Neil Lennon has time after he's dealt with sports science and organised training and dealt with one-to-one management with the players and looked at the opposition and thought about tactics and uh, made sure all the food was correct and all the plans were correct and liaised with all the different parts of the football department and dealt with the media. The idea that he then has any time to do scouting properly, to look at the youth setup properly, it's ridiculous in this modern uh, footballing environment. So... I think you absolutely need someone at a club of Celtic size. Um, Rangers already have one, um, and I think um, most big clubs in Europe of Celtic's uh, size would have one. Now, I think Peter Law, in a lot of ways, has been taking essentially that role, Um, but this would obviously allow him to focus on the big picture things at the club, 
um, whether that be um, the commercial side of things or the financial side of things. Um, it would allow someone else to go in and really drill into the detail of the different departments. When I interviewed uh, Mark Vota, the former performance director of Scottish Football, he gave me a brilliant analogy because he'd been director of football at uh, Feyenoord. And I said to him, Mark, why why should we have director of football? This was about five years ago in Scottish football. And why, you know, should Rangers and Celtic consider it? And he said, look, you've got to think about it like it's the spider in the web. The web's the club and you're the spider as director of football and you've got your you've got the ability to go everywhere in that club. You've got oversight on everything. And it just allows that extra level of responsibility to be assigned to people uh, or to to be assigned to that one person um, in areas where there's often not someone who can really take charge of it. So often, like, you've seen at clubs where youth development is kind of forgotten about in the overarching structure because there's always a bigger priority than youth development in any given moment. Because if you have a director of football they always have responsibility over that. There's always someone you can say, I want to hold you to account over this. And that was Mark's way of looking at it. And I think that's a really, really smart analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even when it comes to signing players, I think you said, you know, the the demands that's on a, a modern manager these days, the amount of stuff they have to do, do they really have to time to go out looking for players? I thought it was interesting. It was a couple of weeks ago, Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid said that the manager, he just said the coach because they call it the coach in Europe because again, they're not managing other things other than the players. Yeah. He said that the coach is the worst person to go out and sign a player because he'll see him, you know, a player four or five times a season, you know, twice against his team, yeah. game before and after when he scouts and he'll go, oh, he, he looks really good. And then you can sign him based on those four or five games. Whereas a scouting department, if you have a sporting director or a director of football, as we call it here, they can... The scouting department can come to them with a name, they can look at the stats, they can look at the numbers, they can send people to watch them, they can build up a whole picture of what the player's like. And if the player's only good five games a season, they'll know that, whereas the manager wouldn't. Yeah, and I think you only have to look at um, a couple of examples in Scotland to see why not only the big clubs should actually set aside an amount in their budget for a director of football. Let's talk about Dundee. So Dundee appoint uh, Neil McCann to whose philosophy on football is to get the ball down and pass it on the deck. That doesn't work, so they get rid of Neil McCann. But Neil McCann has signed a load of players who fit that criteria. They then appoint a manager, Jim McIntyre, who likes to play direct football. So all those players that Neil McCann have signed are no longer fit for purpose. So you've got a manager who needs to essentially reinvigorate and change the entire squad. And he comes in halfway through the first half of the season. So then in January, there's another massive turnover. Then Jim McIntyre is unsuccessful and Dundee appoint a new manager who has another philosophy and the whole process starts all over again. And it costs clubs an absolute fortune because while Dundee might not pay massive wages... Signing somebody on a grand and a half a week on a two-year contract, it does add up. And if you've got a director of football in there on, say, 80k a year who understands the role properly, then you get this synergy across multiple seasons whereby that doesn't happen. There's an overarching club philosophy and a coach has to fit into that and you don't get that same sense of turnover. Now, good managers do that anyway. You look at Tommy Wright, for example. Um, He'll... allow that to happen with his recruitment because he's a good manager and the way he looks at his club but at clubs like Dundee and and there's other clubs in the Scottish game where we've had this St Mirren would be another one with Alan Stubbs Falkirk (laughs) um, under uh, Paul Hartley and then um, Ray McKinnon after him a director of football in there would stop that happening and save such a huge amount of money for these clubs okay well we're going to move on now to um, Mark Warburton 
and some comments he made today on TalkSport about uh, Rangers and their season ahead. Uh, Warburton said, Stephen, and he's talking about Stephen Gerrard, obviously, Stephen is a magnificent institution of a club. I've said it many times, I truly believe next season is Rangers' season. They've done what they had to do, they've gone through what they had to go through, which is a lot of managerial appointments and squad adaptations. But next year is Rangers. Celtic will be aware of that, of what challenges they face, but Stevie will be very keen to stay at that great club, take it forward and stop Celtic's run. He'll want to establish himself as a legend of the club. Derby is a fantastic club with a genuine support, but I'm sure Stephen is keen to ignore any rumours and focus on Rangers. Now, Gaby, I think probably this time last season, we'd have looked upon the idea of Stephen Gerrard being able to stop then Brendan Rodgers Celtic and thought highly, highly unlikely is there a sense, though, now that Mark Warburton isn't just being positive for positive sake, isn't just being positive to try and regain some status within the Rangers' support who have, who have sort of rallied against him since his infamous departure from the club? Is there a sense that, actually, given the transfer moves that we've seen so far, given the way Celtic seem to be going through a slightly strange stage where they're shooting themselves in the foot quite often, that actually there's a potential for this to happen. 55 could indeed be in the offing. Well, I doubt Gerard will thank him for those comments. Now, obviously, if you're the Rangers manager, you know that the expectation is you win the league. But it was Warburton himself was saying a couple of months ago that when the fans unveiled the banner after promotion saying going for 55, that his heart sank because he thought it was too much pressure, it was too much uh, expectation for a first season back. Now, obviously, Rangers are a bit more established. They were close to Celtic last season, but it's strange that he would come out and say that when he's spoken in the last few months about having that pressure put on him. So I'm not sure Gerard will thank him for it because although Rangers have improved, there's no question about that, and Celtic are going through a bit of a, a funny time at the moment. Uh, the, the mood around Celtic is probably the worst since Ronnie Dyla's, the latter days of Ronnie Dyla's reign. But the fact is Celtic have vastly higher turnover than Rangers do They've won the league for eight years in a row. They're used to winning. They've won every trophy in Scotland for the last three years in a row. So they're used to winning. They're obviously still... Manfully continuing through massive, this... Uh, yeah, yeah, this... Uh, whatever it is, it's an announcement, a PA system. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. So Celtic, I think, are still massive favourites to win the league next season. Now, that doesn't mean that Rangers can't win the league or that they can't get closer. But I'm not sure that for Warburton to be coming out and saying that is helpful. You'd think, perhaps, given that some comments by Rangers players or ex-managers or people surrounding the Rangers in recent years about, oh, this will be the year, and it hasn't, that it might be better for Warburton just to maybe not say that publicly. I suppose he's just an unbiased observer, given his own opinion, though, now, isn't he? Well... Yeah, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't care what effect it has, unless he's close well, with Stephen Gerrard, that we're, and we're well, unaware. Presumably, of it. presumably, he wants Rangers to do well, and he wants Rangers to win the league, and therefore probably wouldn't want to cause problems for Stephen Gerrard. I'm not saying that he should be banned from giving his opinion. Of course, he's perfectly entitled to give his opinion. I'm just saying I'm not sure Gerrard will thank him for it. Yeah, uh, you look at Rangers squads, and they've added, I think, five players now. Um, now that they've added um, uh, Shea Ojo to the squad do you get a sense that um, 
there has been significant improvement made. Obviously, Ryan Kent going out the door, they've not been able to replace him. And certainly while Jordan Jones and Jake Hasty are good young players or talented players, they're not at the level probably of Ryan Kent based on what we've seen uh, over the last season. Do you get a sense that that squad has already improved or are you sceptical? I think we'll have, we'll have to see. Stuart and Jones are obviously have proven that they can play at this level. I mean, we've spoken about Jones. I'm not going to go over it again. We've spoken about Jones and maybe the doubts about him adapting to it. We've spoken yeah. about Stuart and he had a poor second half of the season at Aberdeen. Ojo and if Aribo comes in, we'll have, we'll have to see what happens with them. I think... You know, part of the problem is that Rangers still finished nine points behind last season, and that was a Celtic team that didn't have Griffith for most of the season, that didn't have Tierney for a lot of the season. There still is a big gap to be uh, surmounted there. Um, so, have they improved the squad even with Kent going out? Well, quite possibly. Have they improved the squad enough to have a sort of ten point swing over the next mm. season? I'm not sure. Here's where I think the challenge will be. I, I think eleven against eleven. Celtic's best 11 against Rangers' best 11. There's very little between them. I think we're, Celtic have the advantage, um, and as you say, if they have the, all their players fit, significantly so, as in the depth of squad. If you've got Eduard as your number nine and you can then turn to Lee Griffiths on the bench, that's, that's very, very good quality. But then at the same time, if Rangers retain Morelos, then it's Morelos and Defoe. I don't think there's much between those two pairs. Um, and all through Rangers squad, I see players that are um, more than good enough to um, potentially get into that Celtic squad. Alan McGregor, for me, would be Celtic's keeper. James Tavernier would be Celtic's right back. Um, I think certainly there's a case for Connor Goldson being straight into Celtic's uh, defence. You might disagree with that, um, but I think he was good enough last season to do that. Um, Scotty Arfield, for me, would play in Celtic's midfield. You're disagreeing with all these things. No, I, I agree with you on McGregor. I agree with you on Tavernier. I don't think Arfield gets in the Celtic midfield. I don't think he gets in ahead of Brown, McGregor, Rogic. I don't think he's as good as them. Uh, Different type of player. No, yeah, I agree. Okay. but And then if you're talking about Goldson, is he getting in there ahead of... He's certainly not getting in there ahead of Bayer. No, I agree with you on that. certainly a better centre-back. Uh, I guess Benkovic is gone now and Boyata's gone, so maybe with those two players gone, but if we're talking about the Celtic team I, from last season compared yeah. to then, I don't think I'm he's talking getting... about against Simunovic. I would take Goldson over Simunovic. Mm, I'm not. I'm not sure I would, but it would be that. It would be a close run thing. That one, I'll give you. Um, yeah, I, look, I, th- I think there is no question that Rangers certainly last season improved a lot, got a lot closer to Celtic. All I'm saying is, I think there's still a big gap to be bridged now. Steven Gerrard will be telling his players that they're going to win the league. He knows that's what the expectation is. That's what the fans want. The fans will never, ever accept finishing second to Celtic. But I think you don't want to build it up too much publicly. You don't want to, you know, you kind of want to go a bit under the radar there, I think. Yeah. Uh, because there is still, as I said, there's still a nine point gap last season, which is which has been closer than previous seasons, but it's still a big old uh, gap to fill. Yeah, and for all these reasons, I think in many ways, this would be one of those seasons that that Rangers fans could accept second place uh, to Celtic. But what they would need to do is they would need to get some silverware and the race for the title would need to be very, very tight indeed. 
if it's another nine points, I think Steven Gerrard will get his jotters, to be honest. I don't think there's any way around that. It has to be a lot quicker, I think. Otherwise, uh, Rangers fans will demand someone else to come in to try and stop 10 in a row. But if you can get that team to a trophy, and especially this League Cup, which is the first trophy that's available, then I think Rangers will have a serious sense of momentum. But it's very difficult to judge these things until the transfer window finishes yeah, because exactly. we know that Celtic have significant um, funds available if they need it. Um, they could raise a lot of money if they decided to sell some players. If they want to decided to get rid of Kieran Tierney, that's 20 to £30 million pounds in their coffers that they can spend right away. That's four top-class players at the Scottish Premiership level. Um, plus whatever money they already have saved up in their accounts. I think it was £35 million at their last yeah, accounts. Yeah, and their revenue is about two and a half times what Rangers is, which, and as we know, if you look across leagues, the best indicator of where teams will finish in the division is the revenue they have. Generally, the richest team wins the league. Now, that's not to say that it's impossible for Rangers to overhaul them and win the league, but Celtic are starting from a massive financial advantage, which, as we know, is a huge advantage on the pitch. Okay, well, we're going to see where that one goes. Mark Warburton certainly thinks 55 is in the offing. Uh, We're not convinced, but uh, time will tell to see what Rangers can bring in uh, before the transfer window closes to see if we we will change our minds on that. Well, that's going to be enough from us today. We are going to be back tomorrow before uh, 4pm, just in time for your daily commute with another Football Scotland Daily podcast. If you want to keep up with the action as it happens for the rest of the day, you can do so on footballscotland.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at football underscore Scott, or you can go and do a search for our Football Scotland Facebook page. Now, we'd also like you to subscribe to the podcast. That means you get it before it becomes available um, anywhere else. You're the first person to get it. It comes directly down to your phone if you've subscribed. You can do that on iTunes, on Acast, on any good footballing, uh, any good footballing, any good podcasting platform. Um, So go ahead and do that. And of course, if you've got time and you really like the podcast, don't hesitate to go on there and also give us a five-star review. Don't give us bad reviews. No bad reviews. If you want to continue the debate by talking to either of us individually, you can get me at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can get Gaby at Gaby McKay. I will be happy to answer any questions or have a discussion about what we've talked about on the podcast today. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.